Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to Coronapod. In this show, we're going to bring you nature's take on the latest COVID-19 developments. And we'll be speaking to experts around the world about research during the pandemic. We're entering a new era now. We have new COVID strategies. There's some new unknowns and we've got a vaccine. Hello and welcome to Coronapod. Ben Thompson is not with us this week, but joining me, Noah Baker, is Heidi Ledford. Heidi, how are you? I'm great, thanks. How are you? Yeah, I'm not too bad. I managed to cut my finger open over the weekend, but it's all healed up. And so I'm sort of just holding my hand in the air as I've always got a question to ask. Um, (laughs) So this week on Coronapod, we're going to talk about a therapy that we have mentioned before. We don't talk about therapeutics very much. And the large reason we don't talk about therapeutics related to coronavirus is that there aren't very many of them, to be honest. We've got steroid treatments that have been shown to be effective. And outside of that, there are very few treatments. But one of those treatment options is monoclonal antibody treatments. Heidi, remind us, what do we mean by monoclonal antibodies? Yeah, so I think by this point in the pandemic, we're all pretty familiar with the idea that antibodies are you know, made by our immune system in response to infection and that they can be very important, particularly in coronavirus infections. Some of them can even bind to the viral proteins and keep the virus from replicating, for example, which is really key to, to limiting the scope of the infection. Um, but when your body does that, when your body launches that kind of attack, it's usually not just making one antibody, it makes a whole slew of antibodies against maybe different coronavirus proteins, even against different regions within the same coronavirus protein. Now, monoclonal antibody, though, is when researchers pick one of those antibodies. You know, they pick one that looks like it's doing really well at recognizing, even neutralizing the the virus. And they say, okay, we're going to make vats of that stuff. And then we're going to infuse it into people who are sick and see if it helps them then recover from the illness. These were among the first therapies that they reached for. I think when the pandemic, when news of the pandemic broke, you know, and they thought, okay, what are we going to do? Monoclonal antibodies were one of the first, you know, highest priorities. So am I right in thinking you could think about an antibody therapy a little bit like a temporary version of what a vaccine might do? So you're just shoving in the antibodies, the body isn't making them, which means they won't be able to make them after the therapy is finished, but you are kind of putting in the end goal of that immune response, which gives you a protection for a period of time. Yes, that's right. And it's really important, actually, that you brought up the point that the effects are transient right this this antibody only works as long as it is in your bloodstream once it is broken down and degraded it's gone that's it that's your protection
injection is is done. So it's different from vaccines in that sense, but it is it is similar to a vaccine in the idea that you have this directed response against the virus. So various trials have been ongoing looking at these antibodies and quite famously these kind of leapt into the news when Donald Trump became infected with SARS-CoV-2 because that was one of the treatments that he received. Tell us a little bit about the trials that have been ongoing. So these sorts of antibodies, we know they can be useful, but they are a bit finicky, I think, in the sense that you have to kind of pick and choose how and when you use them. Um, So some of the earliest studies of these monoclonal antibodies were looking at people who were already quite sick with COVID-19 and were in the hospital. And there's an argument to be made that a monoclonal antibody is not going to be particularly effective at that point. And there are a few reasons for that. I mean, one is that by the time you've been infected for a while, if your immune system's functioning, there's a good chance you've made this antibody or something like it already. And it just, it wasn't enough. It didn't work. But the other thing too, is that by the time you become very sick, it's not just the virus that's making you sick. It's it's other aspects of your immune response that start to really inflame tissues, cause tissue damage and so on. And, you know, getting a monoclonal antibody is not going to treat that. So some of those early studies um, that were done in patients who were very sick, you know, they didn't turn up good results. And that was to some extent to be expected. It was worth trying, right? I mean, we really wanted to try. Now, since then, we've had some other trials looking at what's called post-exposure prophylaxis. So if you had, for instance, if you're in a nursing home and someone becomes sick with COVID-19 and now, oh no, you may have an outbreak on your hands. You know, if you don't have a widely vaccinated population there, let's say, then maybe you want to try to give some of these antibodies to the residents and the staff at the nursing home to see if that helps prevent them from being infected. Or if they are infected, then maybe you can limit the scope of that infection and the spread. So that was another scenario in which they were tested. And that one showed a lot of promise, but by then we had vaccines. (laughs) So, you know, it still could have a use, but the vaccines really kind of eat into the notion of using it for prophylaxis in that sense. And then you've got these trials and some of the ones that we wrote about recently, where you're looking at people who have only recently become infected and are not very sick yet. So they have quite mild symptoms, if symptoms at all. There you might see a benefit of using these sorts of monoclonal antibodies. And that's where they did see it was on the order of about 85% protection from hospitalization and death uh, when they used monoclonal antibodies in that setting. So that does look quite promising. So 85%, that seems like quite a high number. We've been blessed with high efficacies of various therapies, including vaccines throughout this pandemic. And those results have come out relatively recently in March is when we've started to see those results coming out. Is there going to be an explosion of monoclonal antibody treatments now? Like, what's the response to that? It is a bit tricky because there's the the issue of timing. There's also the issue of expense. They're quite expensive and it's not even just a jab, right? It's an infusion. So you have to go to a hospital or some sort of specialized outpatient treatment center. It's not something that you can really roll out on a huge scale. And it's a little bit tricky with these trials because they're not like the big vaccine trials where we had 40,000 people enrolled and beautifully crafted trials, looking at a diversity of subjects and so on. The data here is coming out in smaller trials, and they haven't been published, many of them as well. So they've been press released, and regulators in various countries likely have the details of this, but it hasn't, you know, some of the key trials haven't been published yet, so researchers haven't had a chance to really pick through it. But so for these reasons, I think instead of just sort of wow headline, you know, all at once. We've had sort of a gradual accrual of evidence in favor of these sorts of treatments. There are several of them that are out there now. Uh, Several companies have them and they've moved on from testing just one by itself to testing cocktails of two monoclonal antibodies mixed together. 
reach and those are in general looking to be quite promising as well and it's just a matter of finding um, the right way to use them. I find it really interesting that one of the things you cite as a potential reason that these therapies might not have been taken up that much yet or that they, they might not be taken up as quickly as we might expect is that the data hasn't been published because certainly what we've seen throughout the pandemic so far is that countries have not necessarily needed really robust data to make quick decisions about treatments um, in the past. Is the game just a little bit different now in the context of a world where we have vaccines, in a world where things are a little bit more under control perhaps in certain places? I mean why would people need like more than a press release now when in the past they didn't seem to need more than a press release? I think it's a combination of things and I think part of it is that regulators, you know, the FDA for example has already issued several emergency use authorizations for the use of monoclonal antibodies in the United States. They've had access to this data. They've looked at it and they've said it's okay. But I think that, you know, individual physicians, I think that the standards maybe have risen a bit over the course of the pandemic. And some of that may be due to things that we've seen, you know, you could call them missteps, right? With hydroxychloroquine, for example, which received an emergency use authorization from the FDA very early on in the pandemic with very little evidence to support it. We also saw, you know, convalescent plasma, for example, being authorized ahead of studies really demonstrating whether or not it would have a benefit. So I do think, you know, there has been a bit of growing skepticism about the EUA process. I do also think the FDA has tightened up some of its EUA processes and, and, you know, it looks to be more transparent about what data it's using and why it's granting these. But yeah, I do think you may see some more hesitation from individual doctors, basically. And I suppose there is also a kind of a problem of mixed messages here, because there are these various different scenarios in which the monoclonal antibodies or cocktails of antibodies could have varying levels of efficacy and if the first things you heard about as a clinician when you're reading you know the new england journal of medicine and you see a study or see a report that comes out saying no doesn't really make a difference in people that are severely ill that's the thing that sticks in your head and it takes a while to get over that and think about it in a different way in a different context yeah that's it people are telling me that that's there's been a stigma you know not a huge stigma but a bit of a stigma attached and people will say you know, oh, this data has come out suggesting that it works, but I already heard that it didn't work. So this is not on my mind anymore, this drug. So there is an element of that as well. There's been some talk about, you know, potentially a kind of information campaign, I guess you could say, to try to make sure that physicians realize where the state of the data is when it comes to, to monoclonal antibodies, what's really going on. I mean, it's interesting as well that you mentioned a kind of an information campaign, because I can't really think of a bigger advertisement for using an antibody cocktail than the president of the United States being infected and then attributing his recovery to a monoclonal antibody cocktail. Like it feels like that would be a big highlight of these drugs. Um, but that's maybe not the case. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, did you have that reaction? I guess there is, I'm sure, some segment of the population that did see that as a meaningful endorsement. And that's good. But former President Trump also really pushed uh, hydroxychloroquine. Um, and then, of course, when it comes to his treatment, I mean, he was one person who received lots of different treatments and may never have progressed on to worse disease anyway. You know, it, it was impossible to draw any conclusions. So I think he did. I'm sure he, that he got the word out there to some segments of the general population, you know, at that time during the pandemic. But, you know, whether or not most physicians were, would, uh, I don't, you know, to be honest, I don't know if it hurt or helped. <laughs> I think it probably depends on what part of the country you were living in or what part of the world you were living in, for that matter. I do remember during the hydroxychloroquine mess, talking to physicians who said it was almost like they had to have two different treatment plans, one for Republicans and one for Democrats, because they would come in demanding different things. <laughs> one would want the hydroxychloroquine and the other one did not want to go anywhere near the hydroxychloroquine. So yeah, these political messages really, they kind of muddle things a bit. So I'm really interested 
interested in what the role of monoclonal antibody treatments could be going forward. So we know that they're not necessarily very effective once someone has severe disease. At that point, there's not much point in using them. But given that we know that monoclonal antibodies do seem to be quite effective at early stages of infection, they could work as a post-exposure prophylactic but also they're very expensive, they need to be given in these specific environments, and we've got vaccines. What is the role of an antibody therapy at this point? It's looking quite niche, isn't it? (laughs) But they still could be useful. And in some ways, given how expensive and difficult they are to administer, it's nice to be able to narrow down that pool a bit. (laughs) There is the point that it's going to take us a while to vaccinate everybody. So if we have a way to help prevent serious illness in people prior to their being vaccinated, then that's useful. The other thing is that there are some people who will not be able to mount a good immune response on their own for whatever, you know, they may have an immunodeficiency, what have you, uh, in response to vaccination. And so they may benefit from this kind of treatment, you know, it's called passive vaccination. After that, you know, the vaccines are not always 100% effective. So, you know, if you have these breakthrough cases come through, there's a chance that maybe giving these monoclonal antibodies will help. We don't know that yet because we haven't obviously tested in that population, but that's a possibility. And I think one thing maybe that I should have mentioned earlier is that some of these trials, for example, that are testing in mild disease, it's not just people who have mild disease or are early in infection, but also they are for some reason at high risk for developing severe illness. And so in those people in particular, this may be useful because it is so expensive and difficult to administer. You don't want to really give it to just everyone who tests positive. But for those people who do have you know, reason because of their age, maybe because they're obese, maybe because of some other existing condition, diabetes, for example, this could be something that could help. And I guess the other key question that people will be asking now, because there are concerns with the vaccines, is about variants. We're concerned that the vaccines may become less effective. Where do monoclonal antibodies stand in this environment? Well, I mean, there are some people who are quite concerned that if you start rolling out individual, you know, single monoclonal antibody therapies on a wide scale, that you're going to encourage the the development of resistance against that antibody because you don't have the breadth of a response like you do in a natural infection. It's really just that one antibody that the virus needs to evolve to evade, and it might be relatively simple for it to do so. That's one of the arguments for combining two antibodies together into one cocktail, preferably if they target, you know, different regions of a, of a protein or different proteins. So that is a concern. There was an interesting uh, development in that case, I guess, with one of the antibodies that had clinical trial results announced last week, and that was an antibody made by a company called Veer Biotech and uh, GSK, GlaxoSmithKline. That antibody was actually isolated against SARS-CoV-1, from someone who was recovering from SARS during the outbreak in 2002 to 2003. And they happened to have it on hand and tested it against SARS-CoV-2 and uh, found that it was also effective. And that particular antibody targets a bit of a protein that tends to not mutate, tends to stay very stable. And there's evidence, I guess, of that because you see its stability between SARS-CoV-1 and SARS-CoV-2. So there's some hope that that might be a little bit less susceptible to resistance because that region of the protein seems to be so important for the virus that it doesn't tend to accumulate mutations. You know, as far as the variants that are already out there, I'd have to go back and look to, Mm -hmm. to see the data for sure. I think there's been some patchy lab results from these antibodies. Um, I think some of the monoclonal antibodies, when tested on their own against the variants, didn't perform very well. But when you looked at the cocktail, I think the, the cocktail did much better. But I would have to go back and look at the numbers on that. I feel like the future of monoclonal antibody therapies could be a little bit unknown for us. I'm really interested to see what place they take in the sort of 
annals of when we read the history books of how this was tackled. In the meantime, Heidi, thank you so much for, for joining us this week. I hope you have a good virus-free week. Coming up. <laughs> Thanks, you too. I hope your finger gets better. <laughs> thank you very much. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.